everybody, welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. I saw an ad for the Mall of America the other day, and it happens to have an aquarium in there. And surely these animals in that aquarium, inside that mall, with the busy crowds and the visitors possibly banging on the on the enclosure, um, surely they can't be happy in such a confined space. When we crowd around animal exhibits like these, whether it's in the aquarium or if it's in the, the regular part of the zoo for seeing apes and so on, are we unknowingly harming these animals? Well, decades of research on the effect of visitors on zoo animals has demonstrated that visitors can have negative, neutral, and even positive effects, actually, on zoo animal behavior and welfare. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to examine all of these various effects. The primary source for today's episode is Sherwin and Hemsworth, 2019, The Visitor Effect on Zoo Animals, Implications and Opportunities for Zoo Animal Welfare. So that's what we're talking about today. Are there negative effects? Are there positive effects? Are there neutral effects on visitors on zoo animals? It seems like there's, there's a little bit of everything. Let's start with a little background on um, zoo animal welfare. So there's a social movement emerging that has led to increased public concern and interest in the welfare of animals in captivity recently. There is a growing public expectation that high standards of welfare in animal-based industries should be maintained. Zoos are one of these animal-based industries that have experienced increased public scrutiny and are unique in that the standards of care and welfare of the animals are on display to the public. So this makes zoos almost like a target for concerns of animal welfare. And there's gonna certainly going to be outcry if welfare standards are not maintained in the zoo. It is likely that the advancements in our scientific understanding of sentience and in many species and their capacity to experience a suite of emotions has fostered ethical reflection and raised questions about the quality of life in wild animals and, and, and their experiences in zoos. Because science has advanced and has shown us that the sentience of animals, animals have feelings, animals experience things not just like humans, but they experience emotions and through the work of uh, comparative psychology and fields such as these, we've, we've gleaned insights on the emotions animals experience, uh, even if at, at more of a basic level than humans. And, and this has resulted in more of a concern for their welfare in these zoos. So in recent years, the zoo industry has demonstrated significant intensification of welfare science with research being published on a wide range, wide range of topics through the pressure they feel partially from the public and perhaps partially from the science and from themselves, they are conducting their own research into uh, welfare science and, and making sure that these animals are cared for properly. So we sometimes demonize these zoos and these aquariums even. And, you know, that's our first reaction. That was my first reaction when seeing the commercial for the Mall of America, just wondering if these animals are really happy. And I think it's a valid concern, but we do have to remember that the zoos themselves are also, they, they don't just hire anybody to work there. They hire actual specialists in uh, animal research and animal welfare to try to at least give the animals the best possible experience they can, whether that's going to be as ideal as it is in the wild 
who knows, but we're going to talk about some of these things today. That's what this episode is for all of the different effects of being at least exposed to visitors, not necessarily being enclosed in these areas, but at least being exposed to visitors. And there was more than enough on this topic alone to have an analysis on this. So how do we assess the effect of visitors in the first place? How is it done? How do we know whether animals are having a good or a bad time or not a good or a bad time um, in these zoos? Well, the most common approach to study visitor effects in zoos has been to assess behavioral changes in animals in response to different visitor conditions. Behaviors such as aggression, avoidance, uh, and stereotypies have been used as indicators of negative welfare states, particularly associated with fear and stress. In contrast, things like exploratory play and affiliative behaviors have been used as indicators of positive welfare states. So if the animal is seen to be playing and exploring and, and messing around while there are visitors there and showing affiliative behaviors, like affiliating with the visitors, interacting with them. There's the video online of the I can't, I don't know which ape it was, maybe a chimpanzee or something that was, uh, that was shown a magic trick by a human. He was interacting with them. He was affiliating with them. So these are seen to be positive behaviors and, 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 and these seem to signify positive welfare states. Whereas if the animal's being aggressive and that same chimp that was shown the magic trick was, was maybe running away and, and showing avoidance and doing these sorts of things, then that's shown to be a negative indication of welfare. Not to mention stereotypies. Stereotypies are like a stereotype pattern of behaviors, like a repeated behavior. If the monkey is just literally twiddling his thumbs in there, or he's doing the same thing over and over, this is shown to signify that he's not experiencing good things in the zoo. So stereotypies, other examples are self-scratching, even self-mutilatory behaviors in primates. You can see stereotypies exhibited as pacing in carnivores and non-food object licking in ungulates. So they're just doing the same repetitive behavior over and over. This is shown to... This... Uh, people interpret this this behavior as that they're feeling anxiety. So they got to relieve the anxiety by doing these just random behaviors in a way. There's also considerable evidence that suggests the expression of stereotypies is linked with compromised welfare. There are instances where uh, this is though a poor relationship between stereotypies and stress. So even though we like to interpret these stereotype behaviors as exhibiting low states of welfare, sometimes there's not really a correlation between stereotype behaviors and these repeated behaviors and actual stress on the animal. For example, look at farmed mink. In farmed mink, stereotypy performance has been shown to be actually negatively correlated with stress hormone concentration. So it's not always that just because they're doing these repeated behaviors that they're feeling stress. Sometimes, especially in these mink, for instance, they're, when they do these stereotype behaviors and these repeated behavior patterns, they're actually experiencing less stress, or at least they're finding less stress hormones in the blood. Stress hormone concentrations are widely used to assess stress responses in various species. However, there are obvious constraints of the blood sampling procedures for zoos as it involves the capture and handling of animals to collect samples. So this is not only logistically difficult and dangerous to many zoo species, but it's also invasive. 
uh, and, and circulating stress hormone concentrations can be affected rapidly in response to the stress of handling and restraint. So, and this, of course, can substantially alter the stress hormone levels that are under investigation. If you're grabbing this animal and restraining them, even for a brief period of time, and even if you're not holding them down in a, in a sense, this can alter these stress hormone concentrations. So as soon as you obtain this sample, it, it may have elevated levels of stress hormone in the blood for no reason other than the very fact that you were restraining them when you had to get the sample. It may not be due to the visitors that are all outside or that they just had to face. It could just be due to when you were gaining the sample. So this is this causes an issue with this stress hormone concentration level analysis to to examine stress more recently to sidestep this less invasive techniques have been developed that enable the analysis of stress hormone concentrations in things such as saliva urine feces hair feathers and eggs non-invasive sampling techniques can overcome some of these above mentioned problems in plasma blood sampling We've talked about the ways visitor effects are quantified. You see that it's by observing behaviors like aggression, stereotypes, and avoidance, and also in biological stress hormone sampling. But let's now talk about some of the actual findings that we hinted on at the start of this episode on the negative, neutral, and positive effects that visitors have on animals. The negative effects, let's start there because these are these seem to be what come to mind most easily, not only for the general population, but seemingly for scientists too, because there's a there's a publication bias toward showing negative results, uh, showing negative effects of visitors, because it's almost as if, not that scientists are trying to find this specific result and they're not altering their data in any way. It's just they're seeking out to find negative impacts because on these animals, uh, of visitors, because it's such a foreign environment to these animals and it just lends to more research on the negative effects effects of visitors so that's what we're going to touch on first that's what there is the most research for it turns out in the wild fear plays a crucial role in establishing uh, excuse me in escaping predators by motivating animals to avoid potentially harmful situations fear can be triggered by environmental stimuli that are novel and have high intensity such as loud noises large sizes or sudden movement so this is what animals react to uh, naturally in in the environment this is what causes them fear so if zoo visitors are replicating these things that could cause these animals fear then this could trigger uh, these trigger fear in the animal because these actions may be perceived as threatening so if we're as a zoo visitor behaving in a loud way if we go to the mall of america and we bang on the aquarium i don't know what you call it, the screen or the glass uh that could obviously cause the animal fear. Also, if you're in the zoo and you're moving around quickly or in unexpected ways, that could also cause the animal fear. Behaviors such as fleeing, retreating, freezing, aggression, hypervigilance, and certain vocalizations in the presence of humans have been assessed to be indicators of fear of humans. So the animals do seem to show some kind of fear because sometimes they run away, they retreat, they freeze up. Sometimes they show aggression. They're also sometimes hypervigilant towards the visitors. So they're always on red alert when they don't always need to be. Their sympathetic nervous system is active more than it needs to be. Um, it, it's overactive. It, we're, they're over, uh, 
they're, they're hypervigilant towards all these little movements that the human might make. Is this human threatening? What's it going to do? Now, talking about avoidance specifically, evidence for avoidance of visitors has been found in several studies. The presence of visitors was associated with fewer animals being visible in a group of quakus and an increase in hiding behavior and distance from the visitor viewing area and penguins. Moreover, increasing visitor numbers were associated with less time visible to the public in a range of species, including orangutans, jaguars, and siamangs. So, these are some of the behaviors that these animals seem to exhibit when these humans are around. They start to avoid humans and the, and the more visitors there are, the less they can be seen. Everyone goes, big crowds of people come to see this one famed animal, but it just so turns out that the more visitors that come in, that's the less likely the animal is going to be to go see all the visitors because, because there may be some fear there. An increase in the time spent alert to visitors was also detected in various species, including gorillas, kangaroos, sika deer, koalas, and gazelles in response to higher numbers of visitors. Uh, so this is this hypervigilance. They're, they're so alert. They're just wondering what these visitors are going to do. What's going on? Why are all these people here? Um, higher rates of aggression associated with visitor presence have also been noted in bamboons, Indian gar, tamarins, mangabees, mandrills, and gorillas too. So more aggression, more vigilance, and an increase in time spent engaged in the stereotypy behaviors that we mentioned. Um, with increased visitor numbers was observed in gorillas, gibbons, jaguars, foxes, and brown bears. So here, here the who knows exactly, I didn't read every specific one of these studies in, in all of these different species, but all of these species are performing these stereotyped repetitive behaviors in response to more visitors. The more visitors, the more they're, <laughs> they could be twiddling their thumbs, they could be doing, uh, licking non-food objects as we talked about, they could just be doing random behaviors to quell the, the possible anxiety they're feeling with all the visitors in the area. An increase in visitor numbers was associated also with increased stress hormone concentrations in spider monkeys, Mexican wolves, and black buck. The presence of a one-way viewing screen that reduced the view of visitors and resulted in a reduction in stress hormone concentrations in capuchins. So these are the findings that are leading us to believe that visitors are having a negative impact on these animals. If, if you put in a one-way viewing screen where the animal can't see the visitors and only the visitors can see in, it results in a reduction of stress hormones. And then the more visitors that are in the zoo, the higher the stress hormones have been found in, in the wolves and in, in the spiders. Uh, another behavioral change that has been noted in some species in response to different visitor conditions is a deviation in regular activity patterns. Higher visitor numbers have been associated with lower frequencies of foraging, grooming, and play in chimpanzees, less time spent lying down and eating in Mexican wolves, more time inactive in pumas, and less time spent swimming in penguins. So it's almost as if being in such an unnatural environment, these animals are, their behavioral patterns are totally changing. The penguins aren't swimming. The, the grooming and the play isn't happening with the chimpanzees. Uh, the, the pumas are, are getting lazy. They're, they're becoming more inactive and, and, uh, the chimpanzees are also not foraging and doing these things. So these unnatural environmental conditions being in the zoo are leading to unnatural behavioral states in the animals. 
we got the negative effects out of the way, but we talked, we said there's going to be some neutral and there's going to be some positive effects that have been found too. Let's talk about the neutral effects that have been found. Several studies suggest that visitors have no impact on animal behavior or welfare. For example, a study of meerkats investigated the effect of reducing noise levels and attempted interactions by visitors and found no difference in meerkat behavior in response to the reduction in intensity of visitor behavior. Whether the visitors were going nuts, making a lot of noise or not, uh, it didn't matter to these meerkats. They, there was no difference in, in behavior in response to whatever uh, intensity the visitors were, were displaying. Similarly, researchers found that visitor numbers and noise level had no effect on cheetahs. Still other researchers have found no effect on visitor presence on several other species of large cats. So maybe some species don't even mind the visitors at all. But there's a caveat to these null findings. Always in these science episodes, we talk about the caveats to every, just about every single finding. And what is the caveat to these supposedly null findings? Well, it is possible that a lack of response to visitors may simply be a result of zoo animals becoming habituated to visitors, resulting in perceptions of visitors as an inanimate or non-threatening part of their environment. Habituation to zoo visitors is likely to occur if zoo animals have repeated exposure to vis visitors that uh, is neither rewarding nor punishing and therefore is of no consequence to the animal. So. First, there may actually have been negative effects of the visitors. These animals maybe did experience trauma at first with all the noise and all the sound, and it did mess with their minds at first. But by the time the researchers came in to do the study, these animals had habituated, they didn't mind, they could go play their games, and they had totally habituated. But that doesn't mean the original stimulus was not negative. Eric Kandel discovered this idea of habituation, essentially, and he, what he he did research on this something called a plesia. It's a sea slug, a small little five six inch slug, and what he found is that if he stimulated the receptors in the same spot and, and administered like a a shock to this aplesia, at first, of course, it would pull its gill away, called the gill withdrawal reflex. It would pull its gill away in fear and pain and things like this. But eventually, uh, if you touch the aplesia in the same spot repeatedly, it ends up ignoring the stimulus. This is this habituation. So it doesn't mean that that initial shock was not... Um, harmful to the animal. It just means that they've habituated to this harm. Eventually, the aplesia doesn't even move its gill away. Yeah, yeah, it may still experience the pain, but actually it doesn't quite experience it as strongly because there's actually less serotonin in the in the synapse to even trigger a reaction. But that's more down the, the neuroscientific path. All you need to know is that just because the animal has habituated to a stimulus doesn't mean that stimulus is not uh, is not a harmful stimulus at first. Look at an, at an example of habituation in humans as well. So uh, if you're in the, say you're in Starbucks and you're trying to read, it may be hard to read the first couple pages of a book because you're noticing how loud the sound is, but eventually you can breeze right through chapters upon chapters because you habituate to the stimulus. It doesn't mean the original stimulus is not loud. It just means that you, your brain 
is able to habituate to that and, and it no longer pays attention to it at a certain point in time. And this may be what's happening with these animals. Yes, the visitors are very loud at first and it, it has pernicious effects on these animals originally, but later they habituate and it no longer has much of an impact. But wait a minute here. Weren't there way more studies, you may be asking, that because this is it for the neutral effects. There's this, and then there's even the caveat to show that maybe these neutral effects aren't so neutral. Maybe they are actually negative. So you may be wondering at this point, there's only a couple studies on, on the large cats that show no effect and even these, no effect of visitors, and even these studies have caveats. So, so what gives? Well, you may, you know, why is there so many more studies on the negative effects of visitors. And we touched on this at the start. The smaller number of studies demonstrating neutral effects compared to the negative effects may not be totally representative of the situation in zoos. Because of this publication bias, researchers may be more likely to be uh, to conduct and to publish research in response to a perceived welfare concern of animals. If they go into the zoo and everything looks okay, why are they gonna do a research study? to just define a neutral effect, that's just not as exciting to anybody, to granting agencies, to the researchers themselves, and to the journals that they're trying to publish in. They're going to get more acclaim if they publish a result showing, oh, look at all these pernicious effects of visitors, not just to say, oh, visitors have no effect. You know, it's that type of publication bias that drives so many negative findings. So it is possible that a neutral response to visitors actually is far more widespread than the current literature implies. Just all these caveats to these scientific discoveries. So just because there's only a couple studies that are showing neutral effects doesn't mean that the effect of that the neutral effect of visitors isn't more widespread. Maybe there's just not enough science on that side of things. We're going to go all the way from negative. Now we've made it all the way to the positive effects of visitors, uh, possible positive effects of visitors on zoo animals. There is some evidence that suggests that visitors can be a positive source of stimulation. Orangutans have been found to prefer positioning themselves to the to face the window of visitor viewing areas. Let's go deeper into this study. Since there was no evidence of avoidance of visual contact with visitors, one interpretation of these results is that orangutans were attracted to viewing the visitors themselves rather than the visitor viewing area. You have to look at these things in every single way when you're doing this scientific research. You can't just say, oh, they were around the... Uh, the viewing area more so they must love the visitors well maybe they just wanted to be around more open space who knows but the researchers interpret this in the sense that they didn't avoid visual contact with the visitors themselves so they weren't just going to the to the glass just to be by the glass they were actually going towards the visitors it seems chimpanzees have also been found to initiate interactions with visitors uh Particularly if soliciting food, as many know, they'll always come for a little bit of food. People toss them a little bit all the time. Uh, prairie dogs as well have been found to move closer to visitors under higher visitor numbers. And monkeys increase the time spent playing and feeding when greater numbers of visitors were present. The more visitors, the better the behaviors of some of these animals were. In contrast to the other findings that were determining that the more visitors, the more negative these animal behaviors were. Given that play behavior also is 
considered an indicator of positive animal welfare, it is possible that this group of monkeys was also positively stimulated by visitors. If we said at the start of the episode, if if there are findings that are going to be showing that are going to be interpreting this reduced playtime as a negative effect of visitors, then let's see if we find increased playtime around visitors. Well, we're going to have to interpret that as a positive effect of visitors too. You can't just look at things in one way. So whereas some and animals seem to play less when visitors are around, some animals seem to be playing around more when visitor, visitors are around. So that might be a positive effect of visitors. Another study investigated the effect of visitor numbers on pool use and penguins. The authors found that higher numbers of visitors were associated with greater behavioral diversity and increased pool use by penguins. Remember we talked about almost the opposite of behavioral diver between or uh, this dichotomy between behavioral diversity and these stereotypies. If the animals are doing these stereotypies and re repeating their behaviors over and over, that seems to indicate that they're not, they're just not having fun. They're not having a good time. But if they're doing everything, they're, the penguins are swimming, then they're eating, then they're feeding, then they're doing all these different things. Then that seems to indicate that there's going to be a positive effect of visitors. Um, and the authors found that higher numbers of visitors actually were associated with greater behavioral diversity and increased pool use by penguins. So it's almost as if the more visitors, the more they're doing their natural behaviors possibly. So the penguins were not negatively affected by visitors, it seems, but instead were more active. And the authors interpret this as a positive response, since these active behaviors closely resemble those performed in the wild. You can look at it all three ways, positive, negative, neutral. In a similar way, you can look at any situation in life that way, really. You can, anything that happens, I was talking to my brother the other day about how it's not about the event that happens. It's just about the way you think about it. That's the way CBT, that's the kind of the main principle of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, we've touched on in some past episodes. And you can look at these things that even when you, when I looked at the aquarium initially and I said, let me go find all of the negative impact. I had this in my mind. Let me go find all the negative impacts of captivity on animals. Let me find all the negative impacts of these crowds on animals. And that's what the bias that I go into it with. And then coming out of it, it gives me three sides of a coin, <laughs> both sides of the coin, and then the edge, the neutral edge. So it, this is the beauty of science. This is why I've been doing these science episodes recently, you guys. Hope you guys are enjoying them. Um, I had a, had a whole conclusion written out, but let's just close it off there. It was, it was just to do with um, maybe these differences are uh, species specific. Maybe the penguins are, they enjoy the visitors and then the large cats, they enjoy the visitors, but then other animals like the, uh, the orangutans, they don't enjoy the visitors so much. So there are all sorts of different ways you can look at it. It could very well be species specific. It's not that you can say, if too many visitors, they're going to have an impact on all animals in the zoo. Maybe they'll actually have a positive impact on some. Maybe they'll have a negative impact on others. There's no research that is given a percentage of the animals that visitors have a negative impact on compared to the percentage of animals that visitors have a positive impact on. Future research will concern this. Um, note that this is just the effect of visitors. We didn't even touch on today the effect of not having space to roam or space to swim like in the aquarium. So although we got three sides of the coin, 
it is a very specific thing we looked at today. So let's remember that. Keep that in mind. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this in-depth analysis into such a specific topic, really. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode, everybody. We are growing our community through word of mouth. So if you like this episode, let one person know about it. If you want us to grow linearly, let two people know about it. If you want us to grow exponentially, you can also rate, like, comment, subscribe, follow. You guys know all that stuff. All these things just help with the discovery algorithms. Whatever you do to support, listening and watching is always plenty. Thank you guys for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast. We'll be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody.